0: I, I I really want you to hash out. I want you to lay down this argument for me. How can you ever pick John Wall over Kyle Lowry? Please, just lay, please lay it out for me. I don't understand. I am I'm, I'm frustrated by this.
1: John Wall's clearly a better basketball player in the oh peak of my his god. Not even close, man. If Kyle Lowry was not a Toronto Raptor, and you guys who the twelve of you that think he is better, oh you my Brandon god. Hart, Brandon Harder, Dom Zimmerman, and the other nine people that think he's better, if he wasn't a Toronto Raptor, there is no way in your right mind you would ever vote for him. The argument is like lot. we're comparing to the top eight players in the NBA, but John Wall is a better basketball player, man, all around. It's not even close. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Hoops Journey. I'm your host, Aaron Mitchell, alongside my guy, Corbin Castres. And based on what we have seen in the DMs and emails, it's time to do a full mailbag episode. Uh, Lots of great questions coming up, lots of just random thoughts about basketball and different things. And um, we're looking forward to this because it's going to be a fun one because it's kind of just off the radar in terms of not really talking to anyone. Corbin and I just going back and forth and just. You know, sharing our different opinions and stories about what we had through basketball. Corbs, how you doing, man? How was Mother's Day? Let me check in. We've done five episodes now. Things are rolling. How's life? Life is
0: good. Mother's Day was really good. Uh, my family and my sister and I made a Mother's Day meal, and then yesterday my parents were celebrating their 29th anniversary, so we made them a nice three course dinner. So, uh, just a mm-hmm. little, you know, token of our appreciation.
1: So, it was. What it's was been good. Their- what was on the menu for breakfast and what was on the menu for dinner? I'm intrigued.
0: Oh, well, breakfast was a mixed berry French toast. Um, Oof. I know. And then on. Oh, just French thawed.
1: toast with frozen berries thought. Yeah. Okay. But cool.
0: You, you know, fair enough. <laughs> Actually, it was fresh from a uh, shout out Kin's market Guilford. And hey, if
1: they're not a sponsor, don't shout them out.
0: Oh, uh, my bad. I'll edit that part out. And, uh, <laughs> So yesterday, Cordy did some of the cooking as well. Um, First course was uh, she made a crostini with a spinach dip, baked spinach dip. Mm. And then our entree was uh, she made a gnocchi with sage butter sauce, and I made a really good steak.
1: Wow. And how was that steak cooked? They might as well get into this. There's only one way to have steak. Well, and that, there's only one There's only one way to not have steak, and that would be... Well done. Yes, yes. No way. And they asked for what? Oh, they asked for a medium rare baby. The only way to go. Now, a little bit of pink is fine, but just if that steak looks the exact same in the middle as it does in the top, then you got a problem, and you need to check yourself. And the people out there, you know who we're talking to. Exactly. We're not even going to talk about ketchup with that. It's just... The way steak is supposed to be done let's get into it how are you feeling i'm ready let's go okay first question of the bag. kyle madden thanks for the the question messaged us on uh, instagram asked about if we could interview one person who would it be past or present and kyle made the assumption right off the bat that it would be michael jordan and i think that maybe sometimes uh, people just assume that because i think michael jordan's the best basketball player of all time that he is who I love the most. And it's not true. There's actually quite a lot of other players that I loved and appreciated before him. I didn't even really start to appreciate MJ until probably after my my career was done or towards the end of it. Um, I spent a lot of time cheering against him. But just like many people have to do out there in this world, they have to just open their eyes and realize that he is the best basketball player. With that said... There's a lot of people for me that I would love to interview. And mine, my answer was unique. I think I wanted to say uh, Charles Barkley right off the bat, but he already gets paid to do that. So for me, one would be Wilt Chamberlain, read his book, know the stories, would just love to sit down and hear them in person and see him tell them um, to me. An absolute legendary baller from back in the day, a freak in nature, and just someone who... I don't know. It'd just be interesting to chat with him. And then my second is Kevin Garnett. Kevin Garnett's a huge influence on me and my career, someone who I love. I know a lot of people find him corny. I find him really genuine and love his energy and would love to have been a teammate with him. And I think just sitting down, chopping it up and hearing his stories would be amazing. So I think those are two people that I would like to sit down with. How about you?
0: Did the question specify, does it have to be NBA or just basketball related?
1: This is not a quiz. This is the mailbag. And as the <laughs> producer, stop overanalyzing things and give us your answer.
0: I think an easy answer for me is Nash. That would be a dream guest that we that we can get. I think he's just a super interesting story. Um
1: I think He's not he's asking like- about the podcast, Corbin. He's asking about in general, if you had a chance to chalk with someone, like are we gonna hashtag at Steve Nash on this? Why not? Right, worth it. Don't worry, we'll get there, man. But keep going.
0: Uh, fair enough. I get, I need to.
1: <laughs> you told me you did your homework on the mailbag. Man. Oh, I,
0: I definitely thought it was a, a interview for the podcast. But this is kind of a weird answer, just because I've heard so many stories about this guy. This is gonna be. You're gonna laugh at me. I've heard so many wild stories about Rick Majerus. I think it would be an absolute like treasure to interview,
1: like get him a couple of uh,
0: beverages. And I I think that would be an amazing interview.
1: I would agree. I've heard some funny Rick Majera stories as well. Rest in peace to him. But I believe the term we would use is absolute beauty, right?
0: Absolute beauty. That guy.
1: Awesome. Thanks for the question, Kyle up next from a Lexi Durr, former player uh, at STM. Um, asking about what are our thoughts, and it's going to be tough to keep this one short, but let's just get to it. What are our thoughts on paying college athletes, Lexi being a division one athlete herself? Um, what are your thoughts on that? I don't
0: want to go the route of paying them a salary, but absolutely. If they're making money from commercials, endorsements, um, or making like money off their likeness, I think that that shouldn't be an NCD violation. Giving them a salary Kind of puts them in the weird area of are they employees? Now do you do you just focus on the athlete side of it, not the student side? I don't know. I still think college should still be about student athlete experience, and that that's pretty unique. But but they should be able to make money when their you know games are being filmed nationally, when they're in the March Madness, and yeah, I really think that they should be getting some compensation, but just not a salary. What do you think?
1: This is something we've talked about a lot and I think you can't overlook what a, you know, $100,000 scholarship does for you. And I get that a lot of athletes leave early, um, especially at the male side of pro athletics. They move on and, and never go back and get their degree, but it's always there waiting for them. So I value that. I feel like there's some value in saying like you're getting your education paid for when a lot of people can't. My biggest thing is that how do you go about it? There's so much gray area. So when you're saying page, paying college athletes, we're fully aware that men's football and men's basketball generate the most money. There's no questioning that, correct? So correct. how do you go about giving money to the rowing team, to the tennis team, to whoever it is? How do you go about paying all those other programs? Because they're technically college athletes. They're technically representing the university. and I think you just create an even worse environment if Florida Men's basketball generates a whole bunch of money do that does that program get 80% of the money or does it get you know spread across the board and yeah I just it's a tough area and I and I agree with what you're saying too is that it's it is sort of it's university athletics technically so is it CBS's fault and the NCAA's fault that it's become so popular Larry Bird and Magic Johnson and Akeem Olajuwon weren't asking for any money when the ratings weren't that high, right? Um, So now we're in this era where we're just more aware and we want to question more things and that's healthy, but it still is sort of university sport. I don't think um, athletes should go without. I think they should be taken care of, not just educationally. And I I know that there's stories out there about people eating noodles and not having money for this and that. And I can't speak to those because I don't know. But that shouldn't be happening. But I think there's just so much gray area if we get to the point where we start to pay college athletes. Fair enough. Thanks, Lexi, for that one. Um, Another good question. Up next uh, is from our boy Nashville Predator Kyle Turris. He uh, asked a great question about: Would you prefer to? Same salary, you're both a top team in either league. Would you prefer to coach the NBA knowing what you're dealing with, knowing the management of personalities and things like that, as opposed to the NCAA where um, it's amateur sport? And I thought about this one and I've actually thought about it a lot. I don't know why, but I think for me, if I'm being honest, I love watching the NCAA more than the NBA. Not that it's a big gap, but just because to me, from a coaching and perspective, it's more, it's more kind of quote unquote, real basketball. The adjustments that are being made, the things that are happening, young people missing free throws, they're not perfect. You can throw a zone at them um, and it's amateur sport. I think I would like to coach that because it just would be more challenging that way, I think. And that's not to say that there's no X's and O's in the NBA. It's just a total different game. On the flip side, I would enjoy the challenge of trying to manage, you know, the egos and things in the NBA and see if we could get a team to get on board. And I think that would be unique if you could pull, you know, a Phil Jackson or a Greg Popovich or something like that. But I think just from a pure coaching standpoint, I would prefer to coach the NCAA. I also
0: agree with that answer uh, for everything you just said. And also mm-hmm. that you can, you can recruit, you know, guys to fit your program, right? So in kind of in the NBA, you're kind of at the mercy of your GM. You're at the mercy of how your owner wants to, you know, salary cap, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I can go out and recruit the kinds of players that I want. You know, I don't have to go get like ball dominant guys who can't play defense. I can go recruit, you know, guys who fit my system, guys who are fitting my my philosophy, guys who are fitting my ex, my X's and O's, so Right. I also agree with with uh, going the NCAA route, although although like mm-hmm. the re- whole recruiting aspect of it doesn't really appeal mm-hmm. to me. But that's why you yeah. have assistants, right? So
1: <laughs> for sure. So you're suggesting that you going to a game and trying to talk to families and players doesn't appeal to you at this time of your life?
0: No, it's the whole traveling around the country, going to <laughs> some <laughs> going to some high school gym and watching. I don't know, like. Double A ball in Idaho.
1: Right. Yeah. So you don't want to be Sean Shook, is that what you're telling me? (laughs) Shout out Sean Shook, amazing podcast. Never forget, I got to go to, I've been to the Las Vegas coaching clinic uh, many times and the one year Jim Beheim from Syracuse is there and someone, he did a little quick Q&A, right? And he pretty much flew in on the red eye and was leaving on the red eye. Uh, or uh, flew in in the morning and was leaving on the red eye and and someone asked, you know, about recruiting. And he says, well, you know, it doesn't really matter pretty much when we walk into a gym or someone's house and they see the Syracuse symbol, it kind of does its job itself. And I was like, huh. All right. Great. Thanks for the insight there, Jim. Sorry to the Syracuse fans, just a little story there. (laughs) Corb's going to go into the next one here from our boy, Andrew Wu, living in England, represent. Thanks for the question, Wu Tang. Uh, this All is a right. pretty funny one. Uh, what would be your favorite old man lineup? So I think what he means is like old man game. So NBA, you have a starting five. What's your favorite old man game lineup that you would put together?
0: Ooh, That's a good, that's a great question. Okay. I think my, my one has to be Andre Miller, the, literally the epitome of old school game. Great. We got Sam Cassell. I got, Paul Pierce, Zebo. Oh, I'll put Zebo at my five, put Pierce at the four, and put Joe Johnson at my three. How about that? Wow.
1: Sam Cassell's your two?
0: Sam Cassell's my two.
1: Wow. I think my team's kicking your ass. I've got Mark Action Jackson at the point. There's no he's more old man game than, pardon me? He's off my bench. Oh, well, he's my starter. <laughs> New York in the house. I've got, I've got Paul Pierce at the two as my versatile defender kind of do it all guy i've got boris diao oh. i've got timmy d at the 5 and i think at the 4 and i don't care that he's a hall of famer i think he's really overlooked at just how old man his game is was and that's dirk nowitzki i got dirk nowitzki Ooh. at the 4 for old man game does dirk not have old man game i would argue
0: no. early in his career is pretty athletic like he can have.
1: Ath- was- Athletic, like he was. He
0: was decently athletic for a bro- seven bro- foot.
1: Okay, all right.
0: Would would you not I mean, say you he was pretty se- mobile?
1: If you're going to be seven feet and make the NBA, you have to be decently athletic. If you're going to make the NBA, you have to be decently athletic. I'm just saying, I think Dirk's game gets overlooked as an old man. I think his game is very old man. And if you look at Max's nice on Instagram, he'll show you what it looks like. Just saying. I argue that's more reward. of his, you know. We're beating you by 30. We're beating you by 30. I saw Joe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he was in there, but I thought, yeah, okay, fair enough. Next one, and Corbz, this wasn't on the list that I sent you, but you've seen this one, is from uh, a young coach named Joey, and I really wanted to get to this question because I think it's a good one. He says, uh, having you know, he's a young coach trying to build his program, um, his high school program, and he says, having one to two exceptional players can help a program to the next level of success for a few seasons but how does a program use that as a jumping off point to have continued success? Contexted in high school basketball, he says, awesome question, man. Really appreciate that one. And um appreciate the fact that you think that uh, we can bring some value to an answer for you. This is kind of my passion and, and, and I'm was fired up to get to this one. So if you don't mind, I'll take this first and then Corbs, you can kind of fill in. I think for you coach, what you have to think about is, you can't wait for two good players to come along. Um, You have to know who you are as a coach and what you stand for and what your values are. Um, And you have to let your junior program know and your whatever programs you're working with. You all need to be on the same page in terms of what your program stands for. And then those players are going to come. If you just sit around and wait for two players to kind of take you to the next level and get you in the rankings or you you get a provincial spot, It might not ever happen, but if it does and they leave, then there's going to be no continuity to have that program, you know, build and to get where you want it to. You need to understand who you are as a coach and who you want your program to be. And you need to stick to that and and be confident in that because the kids will start to see it. The more that you talk about it, they'll start to believe it. The more you have them be a part of it and what their vision is for the program when they're in it. Then the talent and the wins will take care of itself, I think. And at the end of the day, it's not even really about the wins, it's just having them be a part of something bigger than themselves. So you may have a couple kids come along. And when I first started STM, we had a couple really good years and then we dipped down quite badly. We had three, four years of not good basketball, and it wasn't a reflection of the kids, it wasn't a reflection of coaches doing anything wrong. We just that's how it works. If you're not pulling kids in and you're not getting kids from out of your catchment area, then you're going to have up and down years. But having a standard and something that everybody across the board, whether they're in grade eight at our school or grade 11 or 12, and they know the expectation, I think that's when you're going to have powerful moments in your program will take off and be consistent. And then just understanding that it's not really about You know, making the provincials or qualifying. It's just making the most of what you have. And if the kids are showing up to the gym and buying in, then your program is a success. And if they want to come back to your gym in 10 years and they want to maybe coach with you or be a part of your alumni game, then your program is a success. And that's an amazing question. And I think for young coaches, you know, if I could go back, I was so focused on just trying to win and wasn't understanding the process of what winning took and all the stuff that goes behind it, especially with young people um, who are easily influenced one way or the other. And I think really join a team like basketball just to be a part of something. So if that answers that, I hope so, but a great question. And Corbin, I don't know if you have anything to add on to that or what your thoughts are as a, as a young coach as well. Um, But you know, you've been around and, and, and seen a lot too. So
0: I agree with, you know, I, pretty much I'm doing what you just kind of preached right you know I played under you and all the lessons that I took from that I'm trying to apply to my own coaching and one of the big things for me and I know I'm really young in my coaching journey and it's the it's about the relationship with the kids and that's going to last a heck of a lot longer than any set that you draw up or any system that you run and if you can have a relationship with the kids, if they have, if they can have that trust with you and have that buy-in, then that can, that can go a long way towards sustaining a program, I think. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and then the wins in, and then you learn like X's and O's you can look up, you know, you, you try to work on your, you know, your own coaching and you try to look up other sets, other things that might work for you. And, but in at the end of the day is, you know, you can have whatever you can have the best system in place, but you can't get your kids to buy in if they don't like you and if they don't respect you, then it doesn't matter. So mm-hmm. I think the building block is relationship. I think that's what you did, you know, as we talked on uh, uh, the previous episode with Denzel, just having that relationship with, you know, a personal relationship with with each uh, with each kid. So,
1: yeah. And I think, you know, before you start that program, before you step on that court every season, what do you expect from yourself? What do you expect from your kids? And what are your values that you want the kids to learn from you? So awesome question, man. And thank you for checking in the podcast and hopefully you're taking some fun stuff away and learning as well. Keep the questions coming. Uh, Next one is from Jalen way back. He had a good question about, uh, he listed off five or six, but he asked for a good uh, Rich Goulet story. Corbs, do you have any yet? Uh, what, What kind of, For those that don't know, right? You know there may be listeners because apparently we've been doing some research. We've heard from people in India. Correct?
0: That's correct.
1: Who else has checked us out?
0: New Zealand. We have Australia there as well.
1: We global. We coming. We coming, Jalen and Jacoby. We coming. (laughs) Um, What Rich Goulet coached at Pitt Meadows uh, actually started at St. Thomas More. Not many people know that. Won a championship there. Moved on. Coached for you know, 30 plus years at Pitt Meadows, dedicated his life to the game of high school basketball and is, and is a character to say the least. So I don't know if you have yeah. a story that you want to share before I get into mine.
0: Uh, a little quick story. Just um, last year at our uh, at our chancellor tournament, I realized he was coaching in the final with against me, right? Went up to him and started talking to him just like, hey, you know, how are you doing? And classic uh, coaches, small talk. And you know, right in the middle of a conversation, he was saying something to me about the season and he brings the kid over and he tells him, uh, uses some uh, colorful language to describe the way he has been performing in the warm-up. I'll just leave it at that. And he just goes right back to our conversation and doesn't even matter at night. And that, that was, just, it was just interesting. I just saw the absolute fear in the kid's eyes and, uh, you know, other, uh, those uh lower, uh, not those uh basketball meetings. Where he just, yeah, you know, I'll just mm-hmm. cut that part out. But yeah, <laughs> I can't even think. It's those, it's those zone. Is that, you know, it says it's those zone meetings where he just t- he takes over the the questions. You were, oh yeah, you were oh, there, yeah. and then you left early. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he kept going on.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. That sounds like Goulet in a nutshell. Growing up in the Fraser Valley, playing at Terry Fox. You know, Pitt Meadows being a rival, playing so many times in their gym. Um, Rich Goulet started a team camp. From scratch where teams from all over the province would stay in different gyms in the lower mainland and you would do skills and drills for two three hours in the morning and then you would play in the afternoon the guy did so many things but i'll tell you a story that has absolutely nothing to do with basketball but it's one of my my most favorite my first year teaching i coached on the u17 provincial team with scott allen who was the head coach at white rock christian um, an absolute dynasty of a program there for many years. And Rich Goulet was the assistant coach, if you could imagine. And I was young and I think I was 25. And I just thought, what what an opportunity for me to just sit back and shut my mouth and just listen. Um, it was a national uh, summer. It was a summer games year. So I was technically listed as the manager because I didn't have my level three or anything. Uh, and I just. Took it all in. We we went to White Rock Christian every day and practiced. We had a stack team. We had uh, Bull Kong, Scott Lee, Alex Murphy, Big Rob Sacre was on that team. Doug Plum, Calvin Westbrook. Like we were just so talented. It was it was crazy. Brent Malish, Graham Bath. There's so many guys um, from that team, and you know, Coach Goulet. One of the things that I loved about him was if you asked him questions, he would give you answers. So many times we'd be at a Denny's or a restaurant in the evening when the kids were in their room, just chatting. And I would just ask stories and he was so open and honest. Sometimes what people maybe get turned off about him, but I appreciate how honest he was. But I also realized him and I had a good relationship. He knew me as a player in high school and, you know, we could joke together. And so uh, one of the trips we we may have ended up at the uh, Tulalip Casino for those that know where the <laughs> Tulalip Casino is, and um, on our way out, um, Coach Goulet is notorious for maybe liking you know the slot machines, and so we go to the casino, and on our way out, there's these license plate license plate covers, covers, and they say uh, I got lucky at Tulalip Casino, and this is back in the day when you know this is 2005, so we're using flip phones and everything. And he came to me then literally the next day, it was just funny how it all worked out. And he's like, match all like, yeah, what's up coach. And, uh, he says, Hey, my phone, it won't work. Can you take a look at it? And he's like, I usually use my tech guy at school. And I said, no, let me take a look. So I got it working, wiping off all the crust that's on it. It, Like hasn't been washed or wiped down. And since he's owned it. And then I realized that I've got it open and I can, and I figured out how to change his ringtone. And I thought, okay. And this is, this is before you could put a song or whatever. There were just, you know, 10 options of ringtones. Right. And so I found this one that was like a circus ringtone and it was like, so I changed it (laughs) and we get to the game. I was in the other van. We get to the game, wherever we're playing, um, same summer that I was talking about Isaiah Thomas, ripping us up and coach Allen's doing his pregame. And I, and I just kind of reach around and give Goulet his uh, his cell phone, and he kind of gives me the look like thanks. And then I swallow the uh, the international roaming fees, and I turn my back and I just call him, and I'm just giggling, right? And he's just standing there. And if anyone knows the rich Goulet, kind of hunched over, looking through the top of his glasses, mouth open, listening to Scott Allen talking pregame, and all of a sudden his phone is like, <laughs> and what you guys have to understand is like. The other kids don't have cell phones, right? Like, this is not, it's not like we're used to today where a cell phone goes off and no one blinks. Like, they're all looking, and Goulet is just frozen. He's just staring at Scott. And and he's just like, what? What? (laughs) And then he looks over at me, and then he looks back, and he just goes, Mitchell. He grabs his (laughs) phone and turns it off. And so the summer goes on. He walks into practice one day. He's got his briefcase. He's got his half cab socks with his gold watch on his collared shirt tucked into his khaki shorts. And he's like, I still haven't been able to change my brain tone. And I just start dying. Right. So what do I do? I get the last practice of the summer before we go to the nationals. I get Scott's son, Tyus Allen. who's a, just a kid at this point. We sneak out and we take off. He has his truck, his red Mazda truck that he always parks up on the curb at Pitt Meadows. And it's his license plate it says coach G and I take the license plate cover off and I put I got lucky at Tulalip Casino on there right and I'm just thinking <laughs> how long <laughs> how long is this going to go while well, his license plate cover is on so we go to Nationals it's first week August summer ends great summer awesome group of guys say goodbye oh it's like late October and I come out of school one day and I have a voicemail so I standing in the parking lot and, you know, getting to my voicemail. It's like, hey, Mitchell. So I'm driving down the road today and some lady rear ends me because she says she couldn't stop looking at my license plate cover. He goes, you asshole. (laughs) Now, (laughs) he didn't actually get rear ended. He just realized kind of towards Thanksgiving weekend, maybe even later that he had a license plate cover on his back of his truck that said, I got lucky at Tulay Up Casino. And just one of my fond memories of him, just a great guy. Um, There's so many other stories I could tell, but I just, for those people that know who Coach Goulet is, I saw the man doing handsprings in 1993 to still coaching the game, you know, this year. So Hilarious guy and absolute legend. And, you know, my stupidity just took advantage of him and had a few laughs at his expense, but he took it well and, and was able to take it in stride and, and let me have it. And I actually believed for a second that he got into a rear-ender and I thought, oh man. And then he let me off the hook. So, Coach Rich Goulet, absolute legend. Um, appreciate the, the question there, Jay.
0: The best part about uh, that story is the impersonation. That, that's the, oh my God, that, that, I absolutely died.
1: All right. <laughs> Hey, Corbin. <laughs> hey! Oh, God. Love me some Richie. Another question we got was, what is your favorite what if for the NBA? So a scenario where like what if happened? And I don't know about you and I, but for me, this, the what if the Chris Paul trade actually happened where he went allowed to go to the Lakers, right? Um, yep. For me, that, that's kind of one that I just just stuck out in my head. I don't know that how that would have transformed the NBA and for them to actually go through with kind of turning that trade down is interesting. So what, what about you? What about a, what's a, what if that you have?
0: Um, I have actually several, um, m- some I, oh might, might for you. Oh, yeah. nine draft okay. for, for Minnesota. If they could just, I think if they just get the right point guard, uh, maybe your franchise is uh, turned around a little bit um, in 09. Rub- you literally Rubio just threw that win.
1: one. Just, you threw that in just to, to get me. That's Maybe, not very perhaps. nice, man. That's not very nice. Um, You're supposed to be my co-host producer, man. Taking shot at my... It, oh, that hurts. That's like an open wound. Johnny <laughs> I Flynn would ra- draft like seven point guards that year.
0: Yeah. I think three. Whatever, think man. Three
1: Whatever, man. Carry on. <laughs>
0: um, and then I'll, I think uh, for the younger That's ones... It's literally nobody's what
1: if, man. You just did that to spite me. Fair I enough. did. Fair enough. Um, take for, shots. for for the
0: right. for the older people, Len Bias—that's a that's a big what if if he you know doesn't die
1: right after he gets drafted. Barry, this is a very good one. I'll give you some props for that yeah. one, but careful with the for the older people, okay? <laughs> In line, that's a fine forward. line there, pal. Just anyway. you could have just <laughs> said okay. for those that don't know the story of Len Bias, but you got to take a shot at the old people. That's a big chunk of our listeners, man.
0: Come on. I apologize to. Tell us a
1: little bit about what do you know about Len Bias? It's a great call. I know that.
0: Yeah. And uh, like, I know he was, he was touted. I know a lot of guys were kind of touted as like the next Michael Jordan. And he was, you know, for the Celtics supposed to be the franchise changer. And then, you know, got, you know, had some uh, drug issues. Right. And I know that. Yeah. Like, yeah. It just kind of really, really probably could have turned yeah, the balance know- of the NBA at the time right?
1: Cocaine overdose. And then you combine like Reggie Lewis. Yeah. You know the story of Reggie Lewis. Yeah. Right. Uh, so those yeah, are two yeah. Boston too. Yeah. That's a good one, man. This is you see, you're, you're, you're turning yourself around after that Minnesota Timberwolves, man. Keep going.
0: I have a couple more. Yeah. Um, Drazen <laughs> Petrovic, normal- if he doesn't, you know, if he doesn't get killed in a car accident, right? What a good How 30 vague- for
1: 30 that is.
0: I actually didn't know this because I was looking back on some old Kobe stuff, but uh, he did confirm he was almost traded to the Pistons in 07, mm. right? That was Kobe to the Pistons, if I get it right. Kobe to the Pistons for Tayshaun Prince, I think Rip Hamilton, and Picks.
1: Right? How about if he uh, didn't force himself to be drafted by the Lakers or whatever? Didn't he get drafted by Charlotte and then force a trade pretty much?
0: I... I- I think that's Something also the case right. as well, right?
1: Yeah. 96. Would have been. Yeah the, ni- yeah. the confidence to just say, hey, like, I'm going to be a Laker. And, you know, like, just yeah. the mystique of the Lakers and all that. Like, if he just goes to the Hornets, how does that look? I yeah. have a couple, have two more. Right, man. This is You're just, you're loving this. We're not doing a mailbag every single episode, man.
0: I know. So I got to take advantage <laughs> of this while I can. The easy one for this decade is the OKC Harden trade. Right. Like what if what if they don't trade hard and what if they pay him a couple more million dollars to keep him on the team? Right. And then the big one is kind of like my Zach Lowe and you're gonna laugh. It's the cap spike in twenty sixteen when the owners and the NBA PA did not agree to the cap smoothing. Cause that directly resulted in in uh Golden State being able to sign Durant. Right. So if they cap smoothed it, they spread out like I think it was like a thirty million jump. So if they spread that out over, you know, I think it was Propose three years or three to five years. They don't have enough capture room to sign Durant. Do, do they do just run it back with Harrison Barnes? And does Durant just stay in OKC? I mean he probably probably leaves, right? So then does LeBron leave Cleveland to go to LA? That you know, that kind of that kind of ripple effect. So
1: I don't know how you sleep at night. I knew that I knew when I saw this question that it would be definitely up your alley. Yes. Yes. I love anything this else?
0: Stuff. No, I don't have anything else.
1: I do. Oh, Zach Lowe, nothing on you, bro. Got nothing on you. <laughs> All right. Let's take a moment to thank our sponsor, Good Lad Clothing. Good Lad Clothing is located at 221 Esplanade in Lower Lonsdale in North Vancouver, 30 seconds from the C-Bus. Good Lad Clothing prides itself in being the only three-in-one shop in Vancouver where you can get clothing, coffee or beer, and a cut. Everything is ethically sourced, and what better time to support Canadian-made goods than right now, during COVID-19. From the locally roasted beans, to Toronto's own crown shaving, which is one of my favourites, to also one of my favourites, a Vancouver company named Raining Champ. So many great options there at Goodlad. The owner, Shane Meyer, will offer you a private shopping experience, and will also give you a free beer or coffee while you tour the store and check out what you need. While you're there, if you do happen to mention a Hoops Journey podcast or that you know me, Aaron Mitchell, we'll also offer you a 25% off discount anything storewide. If you are unable to make it to the store, please go online to goodladclothing.com or shopthefoldgroup.com to have clothes delivered right to your doorstep with free shipping worldwide. Thank you so much to our sponsors and let's get back to our show. Next one, uh, Jeff Winslade. Shout out Jeff Winslade, the Winslade family. Legendary people who have put a ton of time and energy into high school basketball. And I think he's going to be rattled by my answer, but he says, what Jays did Mitch Hoopin, and what were his favorite? When I was like 10, all I wanted was a pair of Jordans for Christmas. And the tr- the presents started to come underneath the tree. You know, obviously not the ones from Santa. That's not to say that I still believed in Santa when I was 10, okay? I'm just saying. But what I would do is I would rip the edges of certain presents that I thought were ones that I really wanted. And then I would kind of retape it or, you know, face it a different direction. So there's one, it was the shape of a shoebox. And I thought, yes, finally, my parents are going to get me a pair of Jordans. So I waited and waited and Christmas day came and I didn't want to make it too obvious. So I didn't like open that one right away. My brother got the Celtics garbage can with the hoop on it so you could shoot the garbage in. I got the Lakers one and I waited a few presents and then I was like, okay, hey, I'm going to go for this one. And I knew it. I was like, my Jordans, here we go. Let's go. And it was a baseball glove. And I started to cry. And my parents were like, why are you crying? And they set me up because they knew, they knew I was ripping boxes and what I was going to do. I was going to rip the presents and I was going to know they set it up to, to freaking fool me. That's savage, and if I'm being honest, my parents just never bought me the Jordans. I always, uh, once I got into kind of playing, it was more. I liked the Barclays; they just fit me better. And and I think, like I talked about earlier, is I didn't really, I appreciated Michael, but I spent a lot of time hating on him. So I wasn't even sure if I was ready to wear a Jordan. It was after that, and then I kind of started to get into sneakers, and then I became a married man with less fun things to do. Marriage is great. Don't get me wrong, but it does change your life. And I just started to collect sneakers. And the Jordans are just, they bring me back to just so many great memories of my life. And if I'm going to ask, answer that, I'm going to say threes and fours and 11s. But the, the bread three and four, uh, the cement three, and I think the Concord 11 are up there for me. Um, in terms of shoe, and I have all those. Can't say I've worn them all yet, but I do have them all. So there you go, Jeff. It was more of a competitive thing, and Magic was my guy. I had some cons. Like I said, I had a Vias, but didn't get into Jordan's till later, and I'm happy to say that I have a decent little collection, and I'm proud of it. Next question is from Chase Deza, a grade 11 player in our program. And I think he likes to stir the pot a little bit, but this is also some, some people, a hot topic. I didn't do any research on this and I don't need to, but Corbs did Steve Nash deserve the MVP over Kobe. Specifically. He mentions in his question.
0: Um, I think that's, yeah, I think he's referring to the Oh six season. Um, That's the 81 point season for Kobe. That's when he, that's when he had like Smush Parker, Chris Mim uh, as his teammates. Um, Chase, I believe he did right. So in that, you know, Kobe had some really tough teammates that year. I value winning in my MVPs. I've always been consistent about that. The Lakers were forty-two and forty that year. They were just above five hundred, right? I know Kobe had insane stats. I I know that, but Nash had some unreal stats too, and. I think the thing about Nash, you look through his teammates and throughout his career, all his teammates play better when he's on the floor, and all his teammates have had their best careers with Steve Nash, right? And this is also the same year that Amari was lost for a a large chunk of the season, and he made uh, Kurt Thomas, you know, Tim Thomas, you know, look like really good centers when, you know, they, they were all right, but. Yeah, he had Marion. Yeah, he had Raja Bell. But I think his unselfishness and I really, really value his leadership. I think what we do in our program, I know Zim does this a lot at, at our summer camps, is the high fives, right? And, it, and yeah, in the NBA, you're dealing with adults, but I think it does mean a lot. And, it, and that contributes to winning, right? If Jordan is like Kobe-ish in terms of his leadership, Nash is kind of the other way, other end of that spectrum. And I just value that more. Um, and also they won 61 games and they had like probably their second best player out for most of the year. So he is the, I mean, Nash is one of the most unselfish players. He's one of the most dynamic passers and he's one of the literally one of the best teammates in the NBA. So that's my answer.
1: Mm-hmm. Boom. I don't have much more other than just looking it up. And it's like a weird question to ask because Steve Nash was first in voting. Then it was LeBron, then Dirk and then Kobe. So, Steve Nash had 57 first-place votes, and LeBron was had 16 in second. So, I th- think that kind of answers it.
0: Pretty much, O five <laughs> you can argue a little bit, but still, Steve Nash took a team that won 29 games to go to 62 wins. So, that speaks for itself.
1: Hmm, and five is more Shaq, right? Like, yep, it was. 65 for, for Nash and 58 first place votes for Shaq. And then Dirk at zero, Tim Duncan had one, Iverson had two, right? So yeah. And I'm not saying that the voters are always correct and that's what we go by, but clearly people saw and Steve Nash is just the man. So speak bad on his name. We'll see you on the baseline at practice next year, Chase. <laughs> 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 We've got four more well it depends if we let one of them ask two questions but uh dom collie another player in our program awesome that a lot of our our kids are checking this uh, podcast out hopefully you guys are enjoying it he says who's the best coach uh that you've coached against if i'm being honest i i don't i don't know how to answer this one because in the high school game it's so different like there's no one coach that I've had the opportunity to play against or our teams have played against, you know, 20 times. So we haven't had different matchups or, you know, you don't go over a series and see the adjustments we can make against each other. Um, but obviously, you know, there's so many great coaches out there. I just would like to think of the coaches that I had the opportunity to learn from, as opposed to the coaches that I've, Coached against, because I, I didn't really know how to answer this one. Uh, respect every coach uh, that we coach against. I feel like, again, when I was younger, it was more personal and there's no reason for that. It just was who I was. And I think, you know, I was very competitive and I'm still competitive, but it's changed and realizing it's not about me against the other coach. It's about our kids and what we're trying to accomplish at that time of the season. And if we lose a game in mid December, it doesn't really matter that much. But I think when you do get the opportunity to coach against a good coach, that's when you get the chance to learn because you know, when you're young, maybe you come out of a timeout and you drop a man set and they've been playing man all game and then all of a sudden they go zone and you're not thinking of that or do play them twice and the third time they throw something way different at you. So I wouldn't say they're like, I can't think of off the top of my head, the great coaches that I've had the chance to coach against because at the end of the day, day like I feel at the high school level you gotta lose your ego and if the kids lose a tough game it's probably something that we as coaches could have done better but if they win an important game it's probably because they believed in each other and got it together we just set the table for them so I wouldn't like I don't know I just there's lots of great coaches out there there's no one like I haven't had a chance to coach against a high level D1 or you know, a high level CIS coach in a meaningful game or anything like that. But I think the best part is when you, you know, you're coaching against someone good when you see adjustments being made in game, right? Everybody says, let's wait till halftime. And it's like, well, why are we waiting till half? There's still a quarter and a bit to go, right? And I think that's when you see um, when good coaches are are there. So kind of danced around the answer for you. Sorry, buddy.
0: I guess it just depends on what your definition of best coach is. Is it the most accomplished coach? Because that could be be a different question. You can interpret that in a a different way. So that's, yeah, but I agree best coach doesn't, uh, it's tough, right? We don't have the same players every single year and you can't really measure yourself because
1: No, it's it's a tough one. I think if we were um, up a level, you know, then we could kind of talk a little bit more about that, but it make me think a little bit more. I'll get back to you in September when we see each other at school, Bud. Thanks for checking us out. Uh, the next one is from Mr. Ducharme, we're out of our school, a dad who has also had their son play in our program. And I, I think we're getting this right. He talked about how the 1998 game is the most watched still. Um, and what did we love about it? And just what did we love about '98? And for me, I love 98 because I have a tattoo that says 1998 and our team was fortunate enough to win the national championship that year. But I mean, I think it goes without saying that that is just kind of pinnacle Jordan, pinnacle memories, you know, just for everyone. They're just iconic times that are going to stick with us forever. So even the people that didn't get a chance to see Jordan live as a player didn't get a chance to follow you know his whole career when they see an image of that final shot they're going to go back and have access to something to watch it and and relive those memories so I think you know if it's a, a Spurs championship recently or maybe even a Lakers you know I'm sure there's more Kobe views recently but I think the one is probably Michael Jordan with that finishing shot And that's why people are going to go back and just how that game played out and, you know, him making the key steal and stuff is just interesting and pretty, pretty iconic stuff that happened there.
0: Um, Yeah. So I kind of interpreted that as like my my favorite parts of the 98 game. I was four years old, so I don't remember much, but I did rewatch it on YouTube. Um, Let's just talk about that final sequence. Right. So about a minute left. Jordan hits a couple of free throws to bring to tie the game. Ball comes down. Carmelo out of a double team hits Stockton for a three. They're up three. Jordan gets by Byron Russell layup. Right, and then the steal, and then the game winner. Right, and then an absolute beauty of a call by Bob Costas. I did not realize how good he was as a, as an announcer. So that's that's like the best minute of a uh, best minute stretch that Jordan can have. Right, last what last. 6 points and the defensive stop to get the ball back and the game winner like how can you argue that you can't argue that that is just greatness manifested in a man
1: so i agree yeah it's just an iconic moment and not not many people in sports have done or are willing to step into that and he did and got it done so thanks for the question two more Unless Corbes is going to pull something out of the hat on me here, but I think we've been rambling at you for long enough. And hopefully if you didn't get a mailbag question in kind of regretting it, or we didn't get to one that you've asked, please resend or send us something. Cause we, we love this portion of it. Shout out to Thomas. Two questions for us. I, I'm going to jump over to one most underrated NBA players of all time. Um, he feels like Ginobili is in there and Alright, Thomas is a Euro, so he's gonna, you know, pick a guy. He's Argentinian, he might as well be Italian. But like he won six man and stuff. So I'm gonna throw out three at- oh, do you wanna answer this one first, Corpse? I have Actually you do. I want to see what you have here.
0: I have so I Okay, I have a couple. I have you already have it. I have Joe Dumars on there. I have Clyde in there as well, which is kind of that might be a little hot takey, but the like we forget he's a Hall of Famer, right? He was a really good two guard. I think before Jordan, he was probably the second best, arguably one of the best two guards of all time. Uh, I can think it's a little bit disrespected in in the conversations of best two guard just because of you know, his time kind of coinciding with Jordan's. And I have two? my last one, Chris Webber. Wow, Are
1: you gonna expand on that or?
0: Oh, he was a rev. Not revolutionary is a strong word, but he was a do-it-all big man who could, you know, who could playmake, uh, finish around the rim, shoot a little bit, right? I think he definitely gets disrespected in, you know, some of the best power forwards of his of his time. Like he won an all NBA first team during a time with KG, Tim Duncan, Carl uh, Malone, right? Dirk in the in the conversations of best power forwards of all time. He gets he gets left off the list. He could do it all, right? Especially even watching his, his old highlights earlier today. He could bring the ball up. He could. He, he was crafty. He oh. could. He could pass. He had really good vision, right? And
1: is uh, um, everyone's ears out there that are listening? And can they hear Corbin clicking while he is reading off stats? I pr-
0: I promise I'm not.
1: <laughs> right. All right. Well, I agree. I got Dumars on my list for sure. Joey D could just do it both ends, did it in a quiet way, was probably the biggest key to those Pistons teams. And it was interesting that they never really touched on him um, during the last dance. Another guy that wasn't necessarily my favorite because I just thought he was a scorer, but man, Dominique Wilkins, what a force. Went toe to toe with MJ at the dunk contests. But besides that, like, carried so many horrible Hawks teams and just was a right. stud. I think he gets overlooked a lot just in terms of where he stands overall. And one guy for the throwback, I'm just going to say Alex English. Uh, you know, when I looked him up, 12th in the in league history in scoring. Um, I'm not sure if he's still there, but first player to score 2,000 points in eight consecutive seasons. But he just wasn't like he wasn't a flashy guy he didn't play above the rim he didn't have a great handle he just friggin got it done in those really dope nuggets jerseys and uh i think alex english is someone who maybe gets overlooked sometimes in the conversation in terms of yeah where he's at being underrated but good question from uh from thomas do you want to just a- answer his second one here before we get out of here or what
0: all right i got that one um <clears throat> so the question from thomas is rank these point cards of the to- of the 2000s so he has Steve Nash, Jason Kidd, uh, Alan Iverson, and Chris Paul. I think last has to be Chris Paul just because he came in in 06. So he came in halfway through the decade. So I can't I can't give him any higher than fourth or than last. After that, ugh, I have, oh, this is tough. Uh, I'm going to get a lot of hate for this. I'm going to have AI in third. I'm going to have Jason Kidd second and I have Steve Nash first. Uh, that could be pretty hot. That could be really, 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 really spicy take, but what do you think?
1: Depends on what is it that you value in a point guard, right? Like, I think the purest point guard is probably Jason Kidd. I think the second purest point guard would be Nash. Right. And then, oh, and then yeah. I rightly like, Iverson was obviously a scoring guard and he did take, you know, a team to the finals, but I'm going to agree, like for me, I might have Allen Iverson last year in terms of a point guard. Uh, if you're looking at a two, a competitive two, then we'll have a conversation. But a point for me, poof. And I know, wow, some people are, are kind of losing it. And that's not saying I don't respect him and wouldn't take him on his team. But I also hold Chris Paul quite high. A lot of people can't stand him, but I think he's a stud too. Oh, I agree. So I, I th- agree. I think two and three are fairly close, close between Kidd and Chris Paul. But Steve Nash is a two-time MVP and is one of the best point guards ever. So not to say that the other three aren't, but I think I'm going Nash, Chris Paul, Jason okay. Kidd, Alan Anderson.
0: Fair enough. I did uh, just ding Chris Paul for not playing throughout the, the whole decade, so for really no reason, Fair. but...
1: Yeah. Let's break that down, okay? <laughs> I am meticulous I with
0: my qualifications.
1: so A points chart? Yeah. You probably did. You, did. you not even ask that question. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, in terms of energy, excitement, and most entertaining people to watch, Alan Iverson is at the top. Who do I want to run my team, and who do I trust to make sure guys are going to get the right shots? We're going to run what we need to run, and we're going to make the right decisions, and we'll have the best chance of winning night in and night out. Got to go with Steve, man. Sorry. That's just the way it is. Some yep. things will never change. What's going on, man? What you spinning on the uh, the Spotify these days, or the iTunes, or any other of the platforms that you're able to find the Hoops Journey on? Before we go, honestly, nothing. Uh, a lot of my time is being uh,
0: spent editing this podcast, so I ha- I have not listened to music in a very long time. <laughs> that that's actually the truth. I have not opened Spotify. Have not listened to any music or podcast since since we started this uh this podcast
1: yeah and shout out to you man you've trying to balance everything that's going on in your life plus taking on this new venture maybe probably at times you overlook just how much work it would be and i and i do appreciate the fact that you've jumped in and and have done this because if we're being totally honest without you it's not possible but uh i think we both are super hyped and fun and and fired up about where are we are gonna go. So that's cool. And I think when we find something that we're passionate about, it doesn't feel like work. So you're not feeling sorry for yourself that you're not listening to podcasts or music because you're putting time and energy into something that you enjoy. And I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth, but I I think you probably genuinely feel that way about what we're trying to accomplish here. So appreciate Um, you, man. This one episode, you got something more to add?
0: Oh, no, I'll just say I, I, that's exactly how I feel. And, Again, if you asked me when I graduated in grade 12 that I'd be doing a podcast with my old uh, high school basketball coach, I would have laughed in your face. And yeah, it just, I'd be hanging out with uh, my family and I'm just, my phone's blowing up and be like, who's that? I'm like, oh, it's Mitch. <laughs> we're just talking about the podcast almost at any time of the day. We're just, we're, we're talking, talking guests. We're talking what we're doing here. You're roasting me, making fun of me. So, uh, but I, I'm having a ton of fun. I'm hope you're not getting too annoyed with uh, all the messages I sent to you at 2am uh, about a uh, production issue or whatever. But I'm I'm really looking forward to this journey. I'm really excited and pumped about, you know, our audience and how much has grown over the past uh, couple episodes here. So and shout out to our listeners for supporting us and giving us feedback and giving us uh, a bunch of questions and, and things to answer. So
1: for sure, and I'm not annoyed by your two a m messages because I've been asleep for at least four hours, and my phone is off, so't <laughs> bother at all. I'm just trying to get you to reply later in the day when you're still sleeping, but um yeah, man, good times. hope everyone's surviving and feel like as a province we're getting there, we're starting to turn the corner as a country and just stay tight, man. The weather was so nice on the weekend, and people started to venture out, which is fine, but just find your own little spot, keep it tight, keep the circle tight. We'll get back at it. All the best to everyone out there. Everyone enjoy, you know, the last dance, go back and watch it, do your research, keep the mailbag full and we'll keep, uh, we'll keep the podcast coming and hopefully you'll enjoy the content. Be well, take care of each other and blessings. All right, we're out.